pick up from two weeks ago. You know, last week we um, we took a little detour with it being Sanctity of Life Sunday nationwide, and so we we took a, a little side road, side trip away from our Micah chapter six verse eight study on do justly and love mercy and walk humbly with God. And but we're going to pick that back up today, uh, the, the sequel, and I think there will be a part three to finish off justice, but this was, our, this was our anchor verse for this study, for this series, Micah chapter 6 verse 8, he has told you, O man, what is good, what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. I want to give us a quick reminder that we learned that the word that is actually used in the original writing, which I, was not English, obviously, that idea, that, that word that, that we translated as justice carried the connotation of giving someone what they deserved. Now, we tend to, as we talked about, we tend to believe that justice um, equals punishment. That's our view, typically Americanized, of what justice is. But we learned that the biblical standard for justice just carried that bigger picture of giving someone what they deserve, what they deserve as a human being. And so that could be punishment. That could be protection or defense. That could be provision. That could be a lot of different things, but it was not punishment alone. And so we started looking at when it comes to the poor, the homeless, the destitute, orphans, widows, even immigrants, what does the Old Testament say about these conditions within the community of faith? And so I'm not going to rehash all of that that we had there, but we're going to move forward with some of this because I told you that week, I said we're going to come back and start addressing the question, okay, that's the Old Testament so show me that. Show me something about that in the, in the New Testament. But we've still got to lay a little more groundwork before we get there. I want to share with you Deuteronomy chapter 15. There's two different passages we're going to look at in Deuteronomy 15. This is the first one, verses 4 and 5. This is God speaking to the children of Israel. He's, he's laid out kind of what their, what their culture is supposed to be. And really, the, we know that the people of Israel uh, are a form of, a model of, then, the body of Christ that, that we would see today. It's not just, well, they're Jewish and we're not, and, and so, therefore, you know, it doesn't have any application, or, hey, that's just something historical. The Old Testament was there for, to use a very churchy term, for a type and a shadow, for, to show us something, to, to lead us to understand a concept doesn't always mean that the exact thing that's prescribed in the Old Testament was not changed or ratified in some way or maybe fulfilled through Christ when we hit Old Testament changing over New Testament and then we see the cross. But it does, it is teaching a concept. We see that when Paul writes to Timothy and tells him that all Scripture, all Scripture is good for doctrine and reproof and all these things. And, and at that time, see, we look back at it and go, oh, yeah, see, that means the Old Testament and the New Testament. We didn't have a New Testament, really, at that point in time. 
So he was telling him the Old Testament is good for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction, making sure that the man of God has what he needs and is prepared to do the ministry of, of the gospel, to do the work that God has planned. So Deuteronomy chapter 15, God's laying out this framework for the children of Israel. And this is what he says. Now I want you to pay close attention to this first portion of this sentence because then we're going to look at verse 11 and we're going to go, wait a minute, there, there seems to be a conflict. How can this be? And we're going to resolve what that is. Deuteronomy chapter 15, verses 4 and 5. But there will be no poor among you, for the Lord will bless you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance to possess. Notice we, got it, we had us a little line there. It says, wait a minute, there's going to be a thought in the middle of this. If only you will strictly obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all this commandment that I command you today. All right, let's back up for a second. Let's look at the first portion again. But there will be no poor among you, for the Lord will bless you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you for inheritance to possess. So let's look at the condition that he says will happen within the community of faith. Within the community of faith, God speaks to him and says, there will be no poor among you. For the Lord will bless you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance to possess. But then he puts a condition on how are those things going to come about? How is it that you will have no poor among you? How is it that God is going to bless you in the land he's given you to possess? He says, if, if only you will strictly obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all, this commandment that I command you today. There's, I think in the process today of proclaiming the, the gospel and proclaiming who God is or, or who we want to say God is, we've gotten so afraid that we're going to be way over into some crazy extreme of legalism that, that we won't proclaim the reality of the if statements in the Bible. We won't proclaim the if my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and turn from their wicked ways and seek my face, if they do these things, then I will hear from heaven and I will do. We won't proclaim these. You, you, there won't be any poor among you, and you'll be blessed if you do what I've commanded you to do. We see elsewhere in the Bible that Jesus said, hey, they'll, they'll know. If you love me, keep my commandments. Here he said if you will obey what I've commanded. He says, hey, I, I, I can, I'm going to bless you if you do what I'm telling you to do. It, it becomes a pathway. It becomes a means in which that in we, when we are doing what God has instructed us to do and we are following after him, we are aligning our lives up to him, then he can bless and he can do things into our lives. It's hard for us to be blessed of God Let's say you, you, you're, you're, you're hung up on what the, you know, some, a lot of the modern stuff is. You don't get hung up about finances. Well, you know, you, you, you're sitting over here and you go and you, you buy a house that you can't afford. You buy a car that you can't pay for. You run a credit card debt. You do all this stuff and then you pray, God, get me out of this mess. And yet you're still out spending. You're praying that while you're standing in line at Kohl's. Well, God, I know I got $400 worth of stuff, but, you know, help me, deliver me, free me from this. 
Well, you know, God's going, well, if you would follow my directions and my instructions on, on how you have, then I can bless you. But it's hard for me to bless you when I'm trying to pour it in and you're trying to, to pour it right out. Come on, yeah. Well, Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 11, though. Now, wait a minute. He just said, there'll be no poor among you and the Lord will bless you. And then, then just seven verses later, as we term verses, he says, for there will never cease to be poor in the land. Therefore I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy and to the poor in your land. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Same chapter, same letter, if you will, just seven verses before, he says, there will be no poor among you. And, uh, and Because the Lord your God is going to bless you. Seven verses later, he says, but the, the, the poor are never going to cease to be among you. You know, you know what part of the reality is? God can even attempt to bless people and they will still do stupid junk. Come on, man. Amen? Yeah. I mean, just, it, 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 you know, God can free you up. Think about it. When, when you got set free from sin, when you accepted Christ, and then you turn around and do some dumb junk, right? I mean, he set you free. He delivered you from the penalty of sin and all that stuff. And, 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 and then we make choices sometimes. Then we turn around and do stuff that we go, I, I know better than to do that. Yeah. Now, I mean, if we just want to really, really, you know, if I had a mic, I'd drop the mic. You know, I'd take this out and drop this after I say this. But even worse is we'll say junk and then go, I knew better than to say that. Come on, though. All right. All the men that's married, just raise your hand. Okay, because I, I need to raise both. Sean's like, stop it, don't even go there. How many times have you, you saw that look on your wife's face? You saw that look. You knew you didn't need to say anything. You knew you need to just, just shut your, ah! Go get the staple gun, do something. Don't say it. Ah! And what do you do? She got that look on her face, you look her right in the eyes, and you go, the interpretation says, I'm stupid, slap me. Because <laughs> you just say it. And then you go, I knew I shouldn't have said that. But then you go to defending it, right? You know, and then you go, to, ah, well, I, ah, yeah, yeah. Later, you just have to come, you know, just go ahead and get it in. You go ahead and apologize. Go ahead and get, let's get this over with. You know, I should not have said that. Right? I mean, sometimes we do things and we know. Well, it's happening. We know. I should stop this. Look, there will never cease to be poor in the land. I'm talking very real. I'm not trying to be spiritual. I'm talking very real. That's what this whole message is all about. Very real. We're not, we're not, we don't have some spiritual code word that we're using for poor or any of that stuff. We're talking real life, the real deal. Poor, destitute, orphans, immigrants, you name it. The poor, they'll never cease to be in the land. Why? Because people will do things. People sometimes don't have ability People sometimes have not had access to learning. Sometimes people just do stuff because they do wrong stuff. All right? So the poor is never going to cease to be. But God established there could be a condition within the community of faith where there did not have to be poor in the community of faith. I know it's tough. It's been a tough two messages, but it's going to be all right. Y'all still love it. <coughs> God saw this reality. He saw that people would make poor decisions with their own provisions. He also knew that disasters would occur. There's a lot of reasons why that 
that this idea of justice has to exist because there are the poor. Look, I realize this, guys. I realize that there are times where people end up in some of these situations and it is no true fault of their own. Uh, Brian and I were talking last night and we were, I, was, I was sharing just some stuff where I've, in this study and, and some other studies that I keep doing and trying to understand because I, I don't have all the, the right answers for us as a church yet. I don't, I don't have all the right answers on, on, exact, on how we ought to do certain things when it comes to reaching the marginalized and the, and the displaced and the poor and all that stuff in our community in the way that, that God wants us to do. I don't have all those answers yet. I don't mind standing and telling you that. But I'm having to pray about it. I'm having to seek about it. And I'm, I'm hoping that you guys are too because we're going to collectively see that and God give us direction on all that. But I do realize that there are people that end up there for, without any real effort on their own. And as I was sharing with Brian, I said, I've seen the effect of someone walking into a, to a social service or walking into a, a, a situation and because that, that the circumstance they're in and what it has done to them, there's a response that happens from a person that's there. But yet... If, if I walk in with them and I'm dressed nicely and I, you know, I'm not doing my jeans off, if I dressed up as Julie you know, was look, looking last night with my pink tie and, and my suit on and I, I got so much grief out of this group of people, I want you to know, at, at a funeral home giving me just grief about being dressed up and having my pinstripe suit on and my pink tie. I'm not going to tell you. I, you know, hey, I mean, I had people wanting to take pictures with me. I'm just telling you. We'll just leave it at that. <coughs> but look, I, told, I said, you know, but then I've seen a difference when you walk somebody else. I said, hey, this is my, this is my friend and their needs. Some help. Oh, okay. All right. All right. You know, well, let's see how we can help. God saw the reality that there would be things that would cause this to happen. But he made a source of provision. And the biblical source of provision is that God provides to us and we provide to others. But we're, we're going to see that. We're going we're to find that in the Word. It's not my opinion. I don't have some weird political opinion or some crazy you know, socialist mentality or anything. But we're just going to find what the Word, what the word says, right? Yes, sir. That, that's what we're after. <laughs> Everybody's like, he's going Bernie on us. Um, no. <laughs> Nay, I rebuke. All right. What was the premier Old Testament example of practical provision for those who are less fortunate? People go, man, why are we even talking about poor and all that stuff? Because it's a big part of the gospel. You know, it's a big part of what happens when the gospel impacts our lives and we begin to impact the world around us. It's a big part of what's there. This is, this is the premier Old Testament example of practical provision. It's in Leviticus chapter 19, verses 9 and 10. It says, When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. And you shall not strip the vineyard bare, neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. Now, I like that. I, I like the way that God goes. This is what, what's called it's the law of gleaning. And the idea was that 
Instead of you taking and just absolutely stripping everything off of your land, every single bit of it, said, you're going to leave the corners, you know, and you go, it's kind of instead of, instead of cutting square, you're going to round the corners. You're going to leave some in the corners, you're going to leave some along the edge. Now, here's what was going to happen with that, though. This wasn't some, uh, what we would typically consider an act of charity. Because what we consider in America an act of charity is, I'm going to go out here and I'm just going to give you something. I, I, I'm just going to turn, I'm going, I'm going to take and I'm going to hand it to you and I'm going to walk away. The biblical example of the law of gleaning was, I'm going to leave something there, but you got to go do the work to go get it. So the provision is, I'm not going to just greedily take it all and strip it all bare, but I'm going to leave some, now it's up to you. You're aware that I've left the corners of my field. You're aware that I've left the edges of my field. So if you want to make the choice to go out here and do the work and gather this up, then you can provide for yourself. I'm doing, I, God set it up to say your part is to make a way. Their part is to do the work. So the Bible is never intended on this being just a pure handout Thing in the process of reaching, but it is a method of being able to provide a means for the poor to provide for themselves without relying on benevolence. There's an important reason why that is. There's a certain dignity that comes out of doing something for yourself. There's also a certain lack of dignity that comes from, I have to wait on you to give it to me. But if the door is left open, to say, here it is. Now it's up to you. If, you. if you want to come and you want to do this, then you can provide for yourself. You can provide for your family. I was reading a story this week of a church that had a, a, a house next, next door to them, a little small house in the community that they were in, and it was a single mom. She had some children. And the, the elders in the church said, we really want to reach out and provide to this, to this lady. We want to provide a means of help and assistance to her. And so um, they put together, they knew she was behind on her bills, she was challenged with, with making some payments and things, and, and so they put together some finances, and so they went and they provided those finances to her. And within a week, they got feedback that the money had been used to buy new bicycles for the kids, had taken the family out to eat, and, and all of that, and still had some challenges with the bills. I'm going to stop the story right there because right now you have an opinion in your mind. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you, you're wrong. But you just hold on to that. You just hold on to that. I want you to, I want you to marinate in that. I'm going to come back to that story here in a little bit. Because you all just formed an opinion, right? You all just formed, because some of you couldn't help it. It showed, it showed on your face, it showed it, but you just hold on to that. That one was a setup. I'm just telling you about it. I didn't ask anybody anything. I just told you this part of, part of the story. You hold on to that. But God also turned around and provided a method of protection so that in the process of providing for others, that those who were making that provision did not get abused in reverse. And so in Deuteronomy 23, 24, and 25, he says, if you go into your neighbor's vineyard, you can eat your fill of grapes, as many as you wish, but you shall not put any in your bag. 
He said, and if you go into your neighbor's standing grain, you can pluck the ears with your hand, but you shall not put a sickle to your neighbor's standing grain. Now here's, here, I just want to throw this out there for you. I will admit that most of my whole life in church, I have, I have not been all that excited about most of the Old Testament. I, I'll be honest, you know. People say, oh, you should just love the whole Bible. And, well, I think we should, but I, the, the reality is, is that there's been times where I've been going, oh, Old Testament, let's just read something in the New Testament. You know, it's, I mean, come on, you know. So-and-so begat this guy that begat this guy that begat that, you know. Phew, you know, let's move on. But the more that I'm, that I'm digging into trying to understand some of these difficult social issues that we get all these social opinions on, and I see it, and God is exposing it, us to it as a church, and I go, well, wait a minute, I don't want to be one of these wackos that goes off into this crazy junk and doesn't, I want to know what God says about some of this. And then all of a sudden, you start really going back into this Old Testament going, wait a minute, man, he was laying out some examples of this stuff. He was laying foundational principles of some of this. So on the one hand, we've just seen that he provided a means for the poor to go and to do work in order to provide for themselves, but that those who had made a means for that to happen. So it took effort from both parties. But then that God turned around and established a means and said, hey, yeah, now you've got this ability to go over into your neighbor's field a little bit. But you can't, you know, it's kind of like you go over to somebody's house. If I go over to Bird and Wendy's and, and they say, hey, just make yourself at home if you want something to drink or whatever, you know, get you something out of the refrigerator. And I go, hey, no problem. And I pull out my, my grocery bag and I go over and start <laughs> filling up my bag and go, hey, I mean, you know, you said make myself at home and I clean the fridge out. That really was not what they were saying, was it? No, that really wasn't the, you know, I'm emptying shelves out. No, no, that pinto beans, I don't like those. But the, oh, beets, yeah, you can have those beets, you know. That was what, so he says, hey, here's a means of you being able to provide, but then you don't get to go over here and start just bagging up the guy's stuff. It's just, it's just what Jesus said, you know, it's what God's pointing us toward. God also provided through the means of tithing. God provided through the means of tithing. What is that? Here's an interesting. Here's something. People don't talk about this. Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 28 29. At the end of every three years, you shall bring out all the tithe of your produce in the same year and lay it up within your towns. And the Levite, because he has no portion or inheritance with you, and the sojourner and the fatherless and the widow who are within your town shall come and eat and be filled that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands that you do. Every third year, the practice was that the tithe didn't go toward the ministry. I'm just giving you what the Bible says, guys. I mean, it's just every third year, those the tithe was laid together to provide for those that didn't have. So you had individuals that we're challenged, as we saw two weeks ago, we see individuals that are challenged to provide for those in need. But he said then corporately, corporately as a, as a body of believers, then, then the tithe every three years in, in their structure was put together and gathered up in the towns so that you were able to provide for a certain group of people. The Levite, and, and yes, that was... That was the minister, but the reason it was the minister was because that the Levite in the 
when they came into the promised land, when they were coming into all this stuff, he wasn't given land. He wasn't given anything. And so his family did not receive an inheritance out of the division of the land, as we're going to see here just a little bit later. So he didn't have that. He was dependent entirely on ministering to the people and then being taken care of them. That was their structure uh, of ministry. Um, then the sojourner, so you got somebody, you have an immigrant, you have uh, uh, someone who is coming through here and he says, hey, these people, these are, are going to need some provision. You've got the widow, and we could go, at some point we're going to go all into the, the New Testament where the, the, he talks about those who are widows indeed, and that, that he stresses that if they have extended family members and there's a widow, then that extended family, if she has nephews, if she has any else, then they need to take responsibility. Is a biblical concept of family. It said, it's not me and my foreign no more, but it's taking care of my aunt, and it's taking care of my, of my niece, and it's taking care of all of those. That's just biblical. It's not my opinion. It's not anybody. It's just what's in the Bible. All right? You'll take care of the widow. You'll take care of the fatherless. All these people shall come. But let's look at what he says. See, sometimes we miss out on this. We go, oh, I don't like that. We need to be pride involved in people, giving all in people stuff. Fine. You don't want to be blessed? Go at it. I, the second part of the verse says, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands that you do. Wait a minute. What? Come on, guys. Think through this stuff. What is he trying to put together here? He says, look, when you give... And when you provide for these others, God will bless the work of your hands. Well, what happens when God blesses the work of your hands if you are a generous giver in biblical standards? Again, I'm not talking about just giving to the church. I'm not talking about trying to give to me because it doesn't come to me. He's saying, I'm going to bless you because it's going through you. I'm providing for these so I can bless the work of your hands because you're not over here trying to hoard it up for yourself. But you are trying to reach people that are in need and people that, are, that, that, that need to, to have provision. And so if you do these things, then what will happen is when you do them, then the Lord will bless you. I, I just have this certain opinion about Scripture that when God says, when you do this, then it allows God to bless you then I believe the opposite must be true. He says, do this that the Lord your God may bless you. I just got to believe that you're going to be like where the Bible describes elsewhere. It says it's like you're putting money into a bag that's got a hole in the bottom. Because you just, you keep trying to earn and earn and earn and earn. You can't figure out how come I, how come I can't even pay my own son? I better just move on. Then we have the, the, the Sabbath year and the Jubilee years. We'd hit on the seventh year, we'd have a Sabbath year. And the Sabbath year in their culture was set so that those who were slaves, those who were indentured servants, those who were working for someone to pay off a debt, got set free. And the debt got relieved. So at the seventh year, you got set free from your debt and if you were an indentured servant, then you got the opportunity to be set free. But then you would have the seventh, seventh year, which would be seven times seven, 49 years. 
And then in the 50th year would become a year of Jubilee. And in the year of Jubilee, there's several things that took place. Again, all debt was forgiven. All slaves were freed. All land returned to the original families according to God's allotment when the Israelites arrived from Egypt. Here it is. Leviticus chapter 25, verse 13. In the year of Jubilee, each of you shall return to his property. Leviticus 25 and 23. The land shall not be sold in perpetuity. In other words, it shall not be sold and, it's, and that's it. And it's done. For the land is mine. That's what God said. God said, no, you're not, the land's mine. Come on, yeah. You're strangers. And you're sojourners with me. This is not your home. This is not your land. This is not your earth. This is mine. And you're sojourners, and so you're not going to sell it in perpetuity. I'm just giving you what his strategy was that he set in place for them. So at the 50th year, after this, this year of Jubilee, the seventh, seventh year, then what would happen is, let's say that, that Stephen and Shane and myself, we've, uh, we, we're from our different tribes, you know, the 12 tribes, and so we, we've been given, our, our family has been given property, all right? We have an allotment of property. That's why I, I was thinking during the funeral yesterday, we, we named Caleb after, uh, man, that was one of my, oh, because I, when I read about Caleb in the Bible and, and he finally says, hey, give me the land, give me the land you promised. He says, what land do you want? He says, I want that mountainous land. I want that mountainous land because there's still enemies of God to be conquered. I, I was putting that on you. I don't know what, yeah, I, just, I put that name on you. Anyway, <laughs> so they had been given this land. They, they were given these different areas of land. And let's say that during our 49 years that, uh, that you hear me, it's just, this is just biblical. I'm, it's, it's just the reality of what it is. Let's say during our 49 years, we've done some dumb junk. We've gotten ourselves in debt. We've done some other stuff. We've, you know, and so, so now Brian owns my piece of property because I'd sell it to him, get some money to pay some stuff off. And, and, and Sean, he owns the property that, that, uh, that, that Stephen had because Stephen, he did some dumb stuff too, you know, because we're good buddies. And, uh, and, so, and so he had to spend his money because whatever it was that we did, we did it together. And, uh, and so we get to this year of Jubilee. Well, what happens? Debts get forgiven. Slaves get set free. All the land goes back to the original families. Wait a minute. That's not fair. The land shall not be sold in perpetuity because it's mine. That's what God said. He said, it's yours. He's letting you borrow it. I better move on. That'll get, that'll, that just gets people fired up. Because that seems so un-American to us. Right? Wait a minute. That's my land. Guys, man, I created this whole earth. I formed Adam and Eve out of the dust. I, I, or I formed Adam out of the dust. Formed Eve out of a rib. I breathe life on you. This isn't y'all's. Right. It's not y'all's. You, you didn't. So what concept is God teaching us in this? He's teaching us that God, let, let, I want you to see the progression of this. Precept on precept, line upon line. Stuff that builds. God gives us the ability to earn or gain. So what we earn or gain is due to Him. 
So what we earn or gain belongs to him. He provides to us so that he can provide through us. Yes, this is not the normal. We want to hoard it up. This is why that I, I oh, I'm just gonna do it. I'm gonna do it. You know. This is why, this is why that you can have one church down the road that's got four praise teams that they'll rotate through when a sister church, even in the same denomination, can be two blocks away, doesn't have a musician to hit with a stick. I don't know why you do that, but but <laughs> doesn't have one. And yet can't and, and so this group over here doesn't look and go, <coughs> hey, you know what? We ought to send you some people. We need to send you some music because we're all on the same team, man. We're, we're in the same. It'd be like a, a, a baseball team sitting there fishing to go on the field, and, 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 and Sean looks and he goes, man, I forgot my glove, and I got two gloves in my bag and go, hey, dude, sorry. I mean, I know we're playing on the same team. I know we play for the same coach. I know we got the same fans. But this is my two gloves. You should have remembered brought your glove. You didn't bring a glove. You had a lot going to hurt when they throw that ball to you. <laughs> Pow. Dude, why are you dropping the ball, man? Why are you dropping the ball, Sean? Why well, I got no glove? Well, I have to guess your fault. Just be glad you didn't forget his bat. Whew. <laughs> 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 Bunt. Bunt. <laughs> Bunt. <laughs> One of the main reasons that we struggle with meeting the needs of others is because we wrongly believe that what we have is ours and earned by our ability and our efforts. Uh-oh. Now, don't misunderstand. If you don't put forth an effort, I'm not, I'm not one of these that believes that God's dropping something off at your door like UPS. I mean, you got to do something. It's kind of like what the Bible says, if a man wants to have friends and needs to show himself to be friendly, you know, you've got to put forth an effort. But you've got the ability to do the effort because God raised you, God, God lets you have breath in your, in your body today. God lets you wake up this morning. Come on. Yeah. God lets you have the talents and the abilities that he's put in you, and every one of you have talents and abilities. God's designed you with a purpose. He's, got, he's designed you with a plan. He's given you things that he wants to have happen in your life that he wants you to accomplish. And he's given you the ability to do those things. But he gave it to us. You say, oh, but I went to school and all this. Okay, great. He gave you the mind to learn. He provided somehow for, for the fans to go, I had to work myself to death. I worked three jobs. Great. Then he gave you the physical ability to do it. Come on. Either we belong to him and he created us and he designed us and, he, and he's given us ability and skill and talents and all these things or else he didn't. Exodus chapter 16, verses 16 through 18 says this. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it each one of you as much as he can eat. Look, this was when they're in the, when they're in the desert. They're in the wilderness. Remember? And they, you know, they said, man, we've got to have something to eat. God says, okay, you know, I'm going to provide manna. But he told them, he said, there's some stipulations on gathering this manna. Just giving y'all Bible stories this morning, right? This is what the Lord commanded. Gather of it each one of you as much as he can eat. By the way, notice he said, each one of you. So go out. It's there. Go out and get it. And say, sit here in a tent, and I'm going to drop it in a bowl at the front door. Okay, I, I, I like that because that somewhere that does, that does fit with our idea that you need to do something. 
Gather of it each one of you as much as he can eat. You shall each take one omer according to the number of the persons that each of you has in his tent. Well, oh, oh. God says all you need to gather is this much per person times however many people you got in your house. Well. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered some more and some less. And man, that's a message. I, I, I can't preach that today, but that's a message right there. Some people didn't trust it, didn't, didn't trust what he's saying. Some people tried to gather more than what was supposed to be there. And some people didn't gather as much as what God told them they could get. But when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over. Whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. Here, here's the thought, guys. The provision from God was not to reward the individual. Have you ever noticed how that what we, will, we will say certain things because it reflects our mentality about possessions? We will look and somebody has a big house and a couple of vehicles and all, and what will we say about them in regards to God? They're blessed. I don't know. They may be greedy and in debt up to their eyeballs is what they may be. <coughs> oh, they must be blessed. And then we'll look at somebody else that does not have a home, doesn't have a vehicle, and if you're blessed because you got a big house and a couple vehicles, what are they? Come on. <laughs> this one's not an easy one today, is it? I mean, look, we, we, you know, we say things like that. We, you know, if you go outside and say it's hot, then it must not be cold, right? Okay? <laughs> if you go outside and say, hey, it's cold, then it must not be hot. If you look at somebody that has a bunch of possessions and go, oh, they're blessed, then somebody that doesn't have must not be blessed. True. Poor Mother Teresa. Woman reaching lepers all over in India, but, you know, if she didn't have a big house and much, she must not have been blessed, I guess. Wait a minute. Oh, I, I'm, I'm messing with standards now. I'm messing with how we define stuff. Oh, you must be blessed because you got stuff. Maybe you blessed when you gave it all away. But that's Old Testament. You just, all you've done is give us all Old Testament. I'm glad you said that. That gave me a good trend. How did you know I was going to cover that? How does Jesus qualify ministry when talking about his own actions? So Matthew chapter 11 that's New Testament for anybody who wants to know. Jesus answered them. Remember, John sends some of his followers, some, some guys that were being discipled by John. He sends them to Jesus because John's in prison. He says, man, I just need to know. I need to know if he is the Christ. I need to know if he is the Messiah. I need to know if he's who we've thought he is. Jesus doesn't say, go tell him that I'm the son of God, that I, I, I came and I was born from the virgin birth and all that stuff. All those things are true. Here's how Jesus qualifies and tells them, go back and tell John these things. Jesus answered them, said, go and tell John what you hear and what you see. What do they hear and what do they see? The blind receive their sight. 
The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear and the dead are raised up and the poor have good news preached to them. I read you a couple weeks back out of Luke when Jesus stood up in the temple. Remember when it said when he did what he was, uh, what he was uh, accustomed to doing and he went to church and said he, he stood up and they gave him the scrolls and he read out of it. He said he turned to find the place and he found and he read from Isaiah and one of the things that he talked about was how that he was come to preach this acceptable year of the Lord. He was come to preach the gospel, the good news to the poor. And then he goes to sit down and he says, today these things are accomplished in your hearing. He described his ministry being about people that were like the blind, the lame, the lepers, the deaf, the dead, the poor, the widows, the fatherless. John says, I need to know if he's the Messiah. He says, tell him what you've heard and tell him what you've seen. And what you've heard and what you've seen is that I'm meeting the needs of those who are without and have no other answer. And I've preached the good news to them. What are, what are the things that Jesus did? Jesus lived with, ate with, and associated with the socially ostracized. Come on. He raised the son of a poor widow. He showed respect to an immoral woman who was caught in the act but had humility. He spoke with women in public. You go, whoa, whoa, whoa wait a minute now. Easy there, Pastor. Look, in their society, Come on. women had no standing. You, you worried, I mean, honestly, you worried about America right to vote and all this. It, you, you didn't, you had nothing. You didn't speak to a woman in public. Jesus comes and he's breaking all that stuff down. He's breaking down all these barriers. He speaks to women in public. He, because he said, hey, there's an, there's an equality. He's, he's establishing it. He refused to go along with racism. you know. And he even went so far in that line to turn around and make a Samaritan. Considered to be a dog. He, 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 he made a Samaritan the hero of one of his stories. He showed special concern for children. Remember, he's got all the kids coming to him. So I was going, Jesus, you got to do something with all these. Hey, suffer the little children to come to me. He literally touched the outcast. See, Jesus wasn't afraid that something might get on him. Most of the stuff was afraid that he was going to get on it. I mean, you just get right down to it. He's not worried about leprosy. He's not worried about any of this other stuff that he was, because he's not, he's not concerned. Hey, I got power over this stuff. Come on. He said, well, okay, okay, okay. But did Jesus ever really get in depth talking about how we're supposed to interact with the poor? Well, Luke chapter 14, verses 12 through 14. He's, oh, this, I've been, I've been working my way toward this. He said also to the man who had invited him. He was, at a, he was at a banquet. He said to the man who invited him, When you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors. Why? Lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. I'll read you a quote from John Newton who actually wrote the song Amazing Grace. He was a converted slave trader. He ran a slave ship. 
He says, one would almost think that passage we just read, Luke 14, 12 through 14, was not considered part of God's Word. Nor has any part of Jesus' teaching been more neglected by His own people. I do not think it is unlawful to entertain our friends, but if these words do not teach us that it is in some respects our duty to give preference to the poor, I am at a loss to understand them. Timothy Keller, pastor of Reformed Church in, uh, or Reformation Church in, um, in New York, said, Jesus is saying that we should spend far more of our money and wealth on the poor than we do on our own entertainment or on vacations or on eating out and socializing with important peers. Believers should not see any of their money as their own and they should be profoundly involved with and generous to the poor. Got to go Old Testament again for a minute. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 15 through 20. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. Come now. This is the verse we always like to use a lot. We just, we just don't get the whole context of it. Come now. Let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. They are red like crimson. They shall become like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be eaten by the sword for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. You say, you come and you do religious actions and you want to have church services and you want to do all this stuff and you want to come and you want to make these big prayers and you want to do all this, but I'm not going to listen. Because you're guilty. He says, so fix it. Stop the evil. Correct the oppression. Plead the widow's cause. Do all of this stuff. Seek justice for those who that you see and you just you turn a blind eye to it. He says, you'll eat the good of the land. If you're willing and obedient. There's a lot of people that are willing. There's a lot of people that they want good things. They want blessing. They want God to do something in their life, but they won't be obedient. Come on. If you're willing and obedient. How many times have you ever told your kids, say, look, if you want to go over to here, if you want to go do that, or you want to go do whatever, then all you've got to do is clean your room. Right? You know, kids always hate when I, I don't even look over here at them when I start talking about this stuff. <laughs> They're like, man, why is he all done clean your room? You know, then clean your room. Okay, so are you willing? You know, are they willing? Yes. Are you obedient? If you don't clean the room, you can't, you can't go. But you can go if you're willing and obedient. But if you refuse and rebel, Isaiah chapter 58, verses 6 and 7, is this not the fast that I choose to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry? and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh. So wait a minute. That's Old Testament. 
Luke chapter 11, 38 through 42. I'm wrapping this thing up. The Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. He's looking at Jesus. Every man in the place immediately goes, See, honey, you don't necessarily have to go wash your hands before we eat. Jesus. <laughs> Jesus was doing it for an example, though. <laughs> And the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You fools, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give as alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. But woe to you Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb and, neg or herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Look, he's, he's following this same concept. He says, hey, he says, You've got, you're going into your garden even, and you're, you're making tithe out of the herbs in your garden. But the inside stuff that counts, the love of God and justice, you won't do it. He says, that's great. It's great if you want to give somebody some, some of your herbs. You're going to give some chives, you know, and <coughs> give some onions. If anybody's growing some stuff this summer and you want to you want to say, hey, you know, Pastor, I would like to bless you with some onions and some. Wow, thanks, guys. I mean, y'all just <laughs> didn't anybody go, hey, I got you, you know. He says, that's great. But I want you to do the weightier matters. Joel Green made this statement. <coughs> the disposition of one's possessions signifies the disposition of one's heart. <clears throat> when we're so attached to what we have, then it shows really where our heart is. I'll give you a couple last verses. Acts chapter 20, verse 35 through 38. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way we must help the weak. And remember the words of our Lord Jesus, how he himself said it is more blessed to give than to receive. Bless you. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. This is Paul. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful, and most of all, because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again, and they accompanied him to the ship. Paul was standing with a group of people, and it's the last thing he's ever going to say to these people. He's never going to see them again. They'll never see his face again. If you knew, and we've had some experience this this week, if you knew this is the last thing I'm ever going to say to them, it's going to be something important, isn't it? It's going to be something out of your heart. It's going to be something that you want. And Paul looks and he says, look, work hard in these things so that we can provide for the weak because remember what Jesus told us that it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. And he drops the mic and walks away. <coughs> so we got this lady living next to the church, and so they've given her some money. <coughs> and she goes and she buys some bikes for her kids, and she takes them out to a restaurant, and word gets back to the elders. And if, we, and if we told the truth, most of us, when we first heard the story, 
We went, yeah, see? Give something to people, and that's what they do. That's what those elders responded with, too. That's what they did. And their pastor went and sat down with this lady, began to talk to her. Hey, tell me about this. It's kind of, it's really bothering people. We really want to invest into your life and, and to help, but, you know, we knew you were behind on bills and all of these things, and then we, we gave you some financial help, and you did this. And this young lady breaks down in tears, and she looks and she says, for all these years that, that my kids have been growing up like this, I've never been able to do anything for them. We don't live a normal life. My kids go to school and they don't, they don't have bicycles. They don't have, they've, ne- they've not been to restaurants to eat. They've never, and said so just once, I wanted my kids to think we were a normal family. I wasn't trying to waste it, I promise. I just once wanted my kids to feel normal. The church got back together. They set a plan up. They got people that had skills with helping with bill management. They got people that had skills with helping uh, to find a better job and something. And, and they, they formed a, a group to help and support and, and teach her the things that she needed to know and to, to help her move beyond. See, our, our, our first reaction, our first mentality sometimes when things are different than our own situation is not to do in the path of what God has told us to do. It's, it's, wait a minute, I worked hard and I got this. Why do you deserve it? Why do I need to give it to you? Why do I need... But you know an amazing thing? There's an amazing thing. It's in the words of, a, of an old song we used to sing when I was a kid. I once was lost in sin, but Jesus took me in. And then a little light from heaven filled my soul. John Newton, that I quoted, that wrote Amazing Grace, said it that way. said, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, now I see. Jesus didn't come and do for us because we had it all together. Jesus came and did for us to get it all together.